something fun right but what's amazing so far is we already have over 500 followers on spotify over 3,000 streams but i think what i'm really proud of 89 percent of those 3,000 listens literally from start to finish so crazy i don't have all the stats on all these podcasts but i'm pretty hyped this is now going on a third things are rocking i had ross gerber follow me he's got about <laughs> 80,000 followers so I think he's following only 5,000, but let's get real for a second. This weekend, Jim Kramer, Jim fucking Kramer followed you. I think he follows like 600 people or something. Yeah, no, it's absolutely insane. I remember like just like getting the notification and like I, I, I came in and like called my parents, told them, you know, Kramer followed me. And that was probably the most excited they've ever been about anything with trading since I was like 10. My dad loved watching uh, Mad Money, and he even bought me the Stay Mad book, which I read like cover to cover a few times. Which it's pretty crazy. I mean, he's like the biggest face in finance, like on media and anywhere. So that'd be pretty sweet. But enough about me, Avi. A lot of people have been DMing me and saying, "Yo, who, who is this co-host that you talk with all the time? Funny guy, you know, got nice eyebrows. Like, what's up with him?" <laughs> so Avi, 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 who, who are you, man? Who are you? Tell the people. Who the fuck am I? I? I'd love to talk about myself. I'm from Minnesota. I moved to New York City. I've always been a competitive guy. I talked about this on the first episode, but being a degenerate sports gambler, naturally I was attracted to the stock market. How else can I make money, right? One of my favorite rappers, J. Cole, said, nine to five is how you survive. I ain't trying to survive. I'm trying to put my mama in rides and provide for my seeds, right? So my dad even said the same thing. Do not work for money, have the money work for you. So I'm always trying to look for different streams of revenue. Obviously, software sales is my core job, but you know, I really was attracted to the stock market. I definitely contribute a lot of my success, at least this year. I'm up 300%, which is obviously crazy. I don't know if I'll sustain that, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fucking awesome guy. What can I say? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I agree, and I'm, I'm happy that you're doing so well. I mean, the markets, this has been like one of the most amazing trading markets in history, up and down. So let's hope that continues. But Avi, you are the man and you've inspired me. I, I used to run a blog and I kind of put that in the corner. And when I started my own company, Peak Life Capital, you've inspired me again. You created this idea for the podcast, wanted me to continue to share and teach and that inspired me. So I'm eager to continue learning myself and teach anything that I can maybe help. If I can just help one person, that'd be fantastic. So it's riding coattails, man. <laughs> Market's flying, but we got some doom and gloom. So there's a lot of craziness. We got over 3 million cases of corona. Schools may not open. The Atlanta Federal Reserve, they're estimating the real GDP may fall almost 40%, 39.5 in Q2. Companies are pulling back dividends. 25% of New York rents have not been paid. U.S.-China relationships starting to get murky. Biden's up in the poll. Corporate taxes raised 35%. 
Trump's wearing masks. Our pets' heads are falling off. What is happening here? Despite all of this, though, you got a tweet. SPX 3400 coming. <laughs> Where are the bears at? Come on. So coming off all of this negative news, can you explain this? Yeah, I've definitely been badgering the bears a little bit on social media. I'm such an optimistic guy. I like to look at the glass half full, even if there's only 10% in that glass. So I really think that we're going to 3,400. And I was saying that we were going to go to 2,850 when we were at 2,200. And then the action at 2,850, I was like, okay, well, we're going to test the next Fed level. Because a lot of the market likes to move around these Fed levels recently, because that's what's inflating and pumping the market up right now. If we didn't have any support from low rates and the injections and the stimulus, we would be like a thousand plus points lower. I think that we're definitely going to keep moving up, especially with that action in the last two weeks, honestly. The market's tried to dive so many times. And I think a lot of these algorithms that are running the market are really new. They're fresh algorithms. I think what happened is a lot of people got blown up. Even the big boys, the Dahlias, the Simmons that we talked about last week, their proprietary algorithms were pretty much crap during this huge left tail event. All the correlations went to one, and, and I think they had to rewrite a ton of code. So you can see news popping, anything like Texas cases or Florida cases or whatever, whatever it is. And they move 10 points either direction, and it takes them time to move in the right direction. So they'll likely fake out and get in the wrong direction and then reverse. So it's just telling me that a lot of people are trying to reevaluate how they look at the market. But I do think that we're going to keep going higher. I think the action last week told me like if we didn't dive, we're going to go up. You know, it's one or the other. If you try and try again to go up and you can't, then you're going down. But if the opposite happens, then you're going to go up. We'll talk about that more later on. We'll definitely touch on that as we go through the podcast here. A lot of you have been asking tons of questions on Twitter. So thank you for that. Uh, quick agenda for today. Talk about earnings report. News coming up this week. Got a lot of feedback that if we're going to be doing this every single week, you want to know what is coming up here down the pipeline. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, last episode, I want to be a little snoops or snopes, whatever you call it. Tony gave some of his predictions. So let's check in on, on some of those stocks that he had mentioned. I always want to be transparent, of course. In terms of Corona, I always got to talk a little bit about that. I'm from New York. Zero deaths in New York City today. That's massive. Uh, Great I think news. About 380 deaths on, on, on the day. So again, it's you know, you never want to celebrate deaths, but from a statistical perspective, that, that is obviously great news. I know we've talked about that quite a bit, so we probably can hold off a little bit on the corona news. Pounders know our stance on that. Episode two, if you guys hadn't heard, definitely take a look back and learn all about that. Hot stocks, my favorite, and we'll talk about those a little bit. <laughs> and then, of course, we got some questions from the audience. So let's rip it. Let's get right into some things to watch out for this week. Monday, Pepsi reports. We don't trade that. We can skip that one. But Tuesday kind of gets a little interesting, right? Uh, yeah. We have the U.S. inflation data. Uh, what's the economic sentiment around that? A lot of banks are reporting this week. We got Citi, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs. Thursday, we got China, China's GDP, <laughs> which we'll talk about a little bit more probably in the what if section. And then Domino's and Netflix. Obviously, Netflix has been popping quite a bit. So what's your sentiment there? So I think a lot of people are assuming that these earnings are going to be horrible. And you know, what's funny is that last earnings, people were so bearish on reports. And then all these companies pulled their guidance and, you know, they lowered the dividends, but not to zero. Even one of my favorites, like SPG, they only lowered it. They didn't go to zero. Everyone thought they were going to have like zero dividends. I think it was down like 30, 40% from their dividend, which is still really good considering how bad things are right now. And retail stores are closing all over the country. Inflation data. I think people are 
probably overestimating the impact of that. I think it takes a longer time to see the real impact of the you know, money printing as the Fed goes burr uh, and the injections there. So I'm not really looking at that too much, but I do think that these banks, that news has been factored in. And I am not a big fan of Citi or Chase or JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Goldman. Once again, I hate Goldman. I'll say that 50 times during this podcast. But I think that people are going to be buying a ton of puts on these things. And I really think they're all going to get wiped out. So my, my interpretation is that it's probably just going to be flat or they're going to go up. I actually think if I had to give a number, I'd say eight or nine out of 10 companies in general, overall, like the whole market are going to have a positive earnings reaction. And I know that's a crazy thing to say. Obviously, like I'm well aware of the current stance of GDP and company earnings and this and that. But we have such a big disconnect. And I think that people don't really remember that expectations were so low. And you know, all the ones that revised guidance guided down. And all the ones that pulled guidance have nothing to compare what they're going to be doing. So if it's even slightly positive, it's going to have a positive reaction. And that's not to say that I think that their actual earnings are going to be good. I think obviously they're not going to be good. But I think that the reactions to them will be way better than people expect. Unemployment claims and retail sales. Once again, retail sales were so low. I think those will come back, especially since the reason we have more cases of COVID is because people are going out and spending money, restaurant trips, and some people are even going out shopping, malls, whatever it is. I think retail is going to be a little bit better than it was before. And I think that people don't really understand as much or don't take it into consideration that the unemployment benefits, the $600 a week that the Fed is giving you is ending this month. Mm -hmm. So people are going to have to get back into the workforce, no matter what, if they're scared, if they don't want to, which I think that sucks regardless. But they know that if they don't get back into the workforce, they're not going to be able to put food on the table. So I think we're going to see a huge spike again in employment this month added back. I think last month we had 4.8 million versus the 3 million consensus. So we added 1.8 million jobs extra. And that brings it down to, I think, 15 million unemployed as a result of coronavirus. So I think it's going to get better and better. So, Tony, we got to <laughs> fact check you, brother. Keep me you know, transparent, please. Of course. There's a lot of pump and dumpers out there on Twitter spheres, internet, et cetera. So we'll be the first show to check your ass and make sure that <laughs> things are going well, right? So last week, we talked about a few stocks, Redfin, XB, AYX, Melly, and NVDA. Redfin, that one yep. got murked. It got a downgrade. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing. Like, I know a lot of these companies that are starting out, the Redfins and the smaller companies that are like under $10, $20 billion in market cap, they have such strong moves off of influence from analyst upgrades, downgrades. And when the, the software as a service stock started becoming really, really hot last year, when they were exploding way more than the normal market, Barron's came out and crushed them for like a month and a half, two months, made them unplayable to the upside for a while. And I definitely got hit by that. That was like my worst month ever managing money. But Redfin, I know a lot of people have differing opinions about it. I think it's a good long-term stock that I personally hold a lot of it. I mean, think about it. Like if real estate, residential at least, I do think commercial is going to take a big hit because of everything that's going on and people not wanting to rent out $10 million office spaces anymore. But I think Redfin is taking this real estate market and making it more technologically involved. So I think that's going to be a positive over time. And once again, like this is a long-term hold for me. If it doesn't go up this week or next week, it's fine. I mean, I got years and years on it because I'm just holding stock. Another one we were talking about is XP. That had a, a pretty decent pop this week. I think that takes a little bit of time to run, but I do think that that's going to continue to go higher. People are getting super bullish on payments. So you saw Square. I was in that from the way before, but I re-entered at 91 and I've just been holding stock and it's pushing 136 now. So that's good. We talked about AYX, one of my favorites. I've been in that since 90 as well. 
that is just a steady uptrend move. I'm thinking that's going to be a, a mover, kind of like DocuSign, but with bigger movements. So we talked about your shitty stocks. <laughs> now, of course, you know, we, we did preface that, that it's not going to be just necessarily that week. The question was for the, the next couple months and so forth. With stocks, of course, you got to wait. And patience, of course, is a virtue with many of those. Let's talk about the ones that you absolutely demolished, right? Melly, uh, Mercado Libre went from 1,000 to 1,035 in one week. Yep. You yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. It, it, and, you know, it, it's just about a 4% move. It's not anything massive, but it, it's going in the right direction. I think I mentioned this last week that Shop and Tesla had these basing periods for a while. Immediately came from 550. Like, I've been in that for 500 points now. So, of course, at these big round psychological numbers, like 1,000, it's going to base and sit there for a while. But seeing it close at its all-time high it was a very, very bullish sign. Like, I could see it running another 100 to 200 points in a week or two, really. Like, these things take off. Shop ran 300 in two weeks. Tesla ran was 700 in like a month. So that's the kind of movements that I'm looking for for something like that. And Nvidia did super well. It had a huge breakout. Went from 389 to you know 420s. I had long term calls in uh, September for that at 400 strike. So I'm still in those. I'm still in Mealy's. Still have my AYX stock. Still have my XP stock. And still have my Redfin stock. Big thing I like to do is make sure I allocate a percent amount to things that are going great and things that are going to be going well in the future so as nvidia and mealy and the shops and the teslas that i'm holding go up i take a little bit out of that and i add to the losers um people are like, why are you adding to the losers well they're not you know i'm still up on them so they're not losers like that they just haven't ran yet there's only so much money that hedge funds and guys that move the market can put into these stocks so it's just a matter of time before they cycle around you know that i'm a huge crowdstrike fan love cybersecurity. You absolutely demolish net. So that's Cloudflare, right? So you said yeah. net is going to be the next fast cloud mover. So over $40 is going to be a takeoff. You mentioned Livongo Health going to 100, Fastly, CRISPR, Datadog. Talk to me yeah. a little bit about the thought process there. Where yeah. did those come from? So, I mean, all those I like a lot because I'm a huge believer that if you have a, a smaller market cap and people always like to chase yield, those stocks are going to go really hard upside once those bigger funds get in. And I saw there was huge buying in Livongo, huge buying in Fastly. CRISPR had the, one of the best pieces of news. I, I think people just overlook this piece of news. They got like FDA fast track for their drug that is to do with hemoglobophilia, which is 7% of all diseases have to do with what they just got. One of the only approvals. That's a huge stock in the future. I'm holding that until at least two to 300. Datadog, I loved it from 36 to 96. And that was all just because T. Rowe Price bought all the outstanding shares on it, as they did with DocuSign. And then DocuSign went from 40 to 70. D-Dog did the same, but now DocuSign's over 200. So I know they're bigger market caps, but I don't doubt a Datadog can go to 200. Now, that was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but in terms of net, I think cyber, with all the cloud services and software as a service in general, getting so big, lots of publicity around them as the next big growth sector, the next Amazons, Googles, and uh, Facebooks of the world, you have to secure that, right? So I was in CrowdStrike. I really like that company. I was in Okta. I like that as well. There's both cybersecurity cloud plays. Uh, but I think net just hasn't really moved yet. There's not a huge amount of big institutional buying in it yet. I know it hasn't moved yet from when I was like, tweeting about it, but it, I've already made almost 50% on it. But when I'm looking at the price action at 40 there, it was really similar to other stocks around similar round numbers. Like that 40 level is like work, you know, Slack. It, it was super hard to clear that 30 level. And then it went to 38. 
way bigger market cap. So that's why it didn't move as much. But Net's market cap is not that insane, right? I think it's, it's higher than Fastly's market cap, but Net makes 60% more in revenue. So there's no reason it can't be the same price as Fastly. It's just a matter of when people want to put their money into that. So they're still riding those LVGO, Fastly, CRISPRs, Datadogs. It's just a matter of time until it transfers into this other stock because people always want to chase yield. And I, I think something that I love to do, and I just started doing this, is finding stocks that are you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks because that 100 psychological magnet is so huge, which is why I was telling you like Datadog, Fastly, CRISPR, Elastic, when all those get near 100, it's either make or break, and then they become a completely different stock over that level. So for me, net, just a matter of time, it needs to clear that 40 level with conviction. And it had a huge upgrade, and then it sold off, but it popped almost you know, 7% in that morning, uh, which is not uncommon to see something like that. I just They just weren't ready to run it yet, and the market makers did not want to lose a ton of money that week. So it's just a matter of time for me. Psychological levels. This is where I just jump in with my own question. So where are those? Are those at 50, 100? Are they always round numbers? I mean, oh, I, I, a lot of the stuff I have is just like data that, from things I've seen, right? So I know that $100, $1,000, even 50s for bigger stocks and even smaller stocks, something changes in your mind when you see a stock goes from two to three digits or from three to four digits. People consider it in a different class like Shop, Mercado Libre, Tesla, they're all now in a different class of stocks. People are running those and thinking that they're going to be the next Apple, Amazon, Facebooks. But I think the psychological number is just so huge. Of course, stocks have way different numbers between those psychological hundreds and fifties, but those are always in play in terms of levels to get over or get under. You, you saw it with Tesla, right? It sat at a thousand for two weeks. You saw it with Shop. It's been sitting at a thousand for two or three weeks. And now you see it with Mealy. It's been sitting there for two or three weeks. But that number is like a line in the sand. It's similar to like the S&P 500. It took forever for it to get over 3,000. It would stop at 2960, 2970. And then if it got over 3,000, it would go a little bit more and then come right back down. So we brought up this new formula of what ifs, right? So what if X happens. In this case, what if Biden, who's up big in the polls right now, he went on record and said that corporate taxes would move from 21% to 35%, which is massive, right? So yeah. what would this mean to the U.S. consumers? Are those costs going to just get translated and everything's going to go higher to accommodate for some of those taxes? At what point are you going to be selling? If, if Biden comes into office, are you going to preemptively start to sell, let's say in September, October, right? The Fed you always talked about, are they going to keep pumping money into that? Does that even matter? So yep. talk to me a little bit about what happens, you know, if, if Biden does become president. As we talked about last week, my exit plan is to get out of most stuff before the election, right? I don't know who's going to win. I predicted that Trump would win the day he announced he would even think about running in 2016. Uh, but there's just so many variables going on now that I don't want to take the chance, right? Like, I think if we have a huge, crazy week, you know, I'm up 30% from my year two in like seven days. So if the market continues to rally into there and somehow by the graces of the market gods, I get to 75, 100% return in like a month or two, that will be enough for me to sell the majority of things, um, especially going into the election. And I think people don't really realize that if you wait until it actually happens, you're already too late. So I'll be safe there and I'm probably going to get out and be maybe 50 to 75% cash going into the election, regardless of what it is. Because if Trump wins again, the market can continue to go up after that for a while. 
if uh, Biden wins, I'm pretty sure that the market will take a big, big hit. I mean, this corporate tax is going from 21 to 35%. That's like almost double. Right? That's going to eat into margins so much. And I mean, everything is going to get priced higher because those companies are going to try to fight to get that margin higher. And I guarantee you, you're not going to see wages go up. Under Biden, there's a much better chance that you do, but they're not going to go up in an equal amount. No matter, no matter what it is, it's just not going to happen. It hasn't happened since the 70s. So the consumer is going to definitely have a negative impact from that. But there is a silver lining here. The Fed is independent, and that is the biggest, quote, bunny fingers I, for the third episode I can do on my fingers because the Fed is not independent under Trump. But under Biden, I don't think Biden will put his hands around their necks. So it will be independent. Plus, the Fed is in such a tight spot right now. They have to keep doing what they're doing. I know that they started taking stuff off the balance sheet. I'm pretty sure that's just stuff maturing and rolling off. And if they keep dropping it just a little by a little, that, that's going to be okay. But I mean, if they start taking off like $200 billion a week, $300 billion a week, that's going to be a problem. So that's not going to happen until things are 100% back to normal and better. And there's no way that they start raising rates the way that they did in the last couple of years. But in terms of a silver lining there, I think that it's going to be able to have positive externality effects there if you know maybe because of those taxes we'll have better health care because of those taxes better education and, and this and that so in one way or another maybe it'll translate to a positive impact on the general people uh, in america but i do think that regardless that's going to not be a positive thing for the markets you, you never want to see taxes go up for the markets that's going to eat into every company's margins and companies will report lower earnings s p will trade at a lower multiple in general so People will be chasing growth. So my growth stocks will do fantastic, but the general markets will not like it. Keeping you honest here from last episode, you said that the Fed's going to keep interest rates low until 2022. So do you feel that even with Biden, is that going to change whatsoever? Or Yeah, no, I, not at all. I, don't, I really don't think so. I think that they know like the market's in such a vulnerable position right now that if they take off stuff from the balance sheet, that's going to be a negative. If they t if they raise rates in the slightest, that's going to be a really big negative. Like the only thing that could possibly benefit is still once again these growth stocks, because um, people will be chasing yield. But I, I think that's just we're we're just not even close to a full full recovery. Sure, the market's recovering, but the economy as a whole is not even close to being there yet. Regardless of V shape, whatever you want to think it's going to be, you need to let things get back to perfect. You need that unemployment at around three percent. You need the GDP back to twenty two trillion a year. Like that's what you need. So I don't think that there's any way that Biden would call for that to happen. And I don't think Biden's going to strong arm anyone in that position. So I think things are going to be fine. Let's talk about China. <laughs> China, U.S. tensions have grown under the microscope, the South China Sea, the coronavirus, Trump's calling it, quote unquote, the Kung flu, India, China tensions. Is this just media hype? What's your overall viewpoint yeah. on China, U.S.? Yeah, the media likes to change around the topics, what's under the microscope and the discussions there. Of, of course, uh, South China Sea, it's definitely going to be a potential issue. But I, I think that once what we saw a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, when Navarro came online and basically said that the trade deal is off, the speed at which that was changed and the narrative went back to the deal's fine, everything's good. I'm, I'm telling you, that's not going to fall through. Like the phase one deal is fine. And people are like, well, Trump said, we're not even thinking about the phase two deal obviously, we got a lot of things to deal with. Like The world is in a tough spot right now. Why are you making a trade deal when we're having troubles, making sure that our country is completely fine and the rest of the world's having trouble with that too? So it's definitely not an issue I'm looking at. And I don't think that the fact that they said the phase two deals, I mean, being in their minds right now is a problem. It makes complete sense to me. 
the India-China tensions have got way better. I just read something recently that says like, they're de-escalating in this and that. So that's definitely a positive thing. And hopefully we'll see more of that positive news flow come out. And once again, though, the Chinese stocks have gone insane the last few weeks. I'm an investor in Alibaba. I'm an investor in GSX. A, um, a, it's a company in China that does online learning. I'm also a big investor in C Limited, Southeast Asia Limited. That's a gaming company and has a couple other branches of stuff. And that's a fantastic stock. I've been in since 40 and went almost to 130 this last week. So you see that these Chinese stocks are doing fantastic in the market. When everyone was a month or two ago calling for delist these things, get them off the market. And, and now no one's complaining because they're doing so well. So yeah. I think that this is definitely a lot of hype and the rhetoric around it is kind of pointless, honestly. I think that as long as the Chinese stocks do well in the market and the phase one deal goes through, which I'm like 99% sure I believe it's going to continue to happen, things are going to be fine. Let's talk about that parabolic chronic, if you know what I'm talking about. The stocks are getting so high, you cannot talk about that without pot stocks. They've been kind of dead <laughs> in the water. No yep. one's really been talking about them lately. What's going on here? I mean, I got to take on almost everything. One of my first investments when I was starting out, before I even touched options, when I was like 16, I was buying these over-the-counter pot stocks. I remember VPOR, I, I bought like 200,000, 250,000 shares of like a half of a half of a cent and it went to like 46 cents. And then the next day it went to like, you know, zero. So I made a hundred grand, lost a hundred grand, most devastating heart moment for a 16 year old. But I do think that these stocks now, everyone's talking about like the Cron, ACB, Aurora Cannabis, a CGC, Cannabi Growth Company. I think those are probably some of the better names. Like, I don't really like ACB that much, but they do have a nice hold in, in Canada. I never will like Tilray that much, honestly, except for short squeeze potential there, because that's a good play. If, you know, once there's a lot of shorts on it still, and that thing ran to 300 on that short squeeze. But I do think that in general, that market will come. And, and start running soon. I don't know exactly when, but once it starts moving, I, once that gets back into play, that'll start running really, really hard. Um, I got an idea. Yeah. I got an idea. What happens if Biden gets into office? It feels like oh, a, yeah. a more liberal type of play, right? So my personal take would be, there's so much debt going on here in, in the US. Potentially, this is a great opportunity to tax us really across the country to make mm -hmm. up for some of that debt. Is, is there a play there with the yeah, election? No, I'm, I mean, definitely if Biden gets into office, you're going to see those stocks run. Well, I think it's like 27 states have it either recreational or medical, and it's increasing every year, decriminalizing so many cities and uh, states. So it's just a matter of time before the federal government says, all right, this is fine. You know, Cheech and Chong, it's all good. <laughs> and, and then, I mean, especially if Biden gets into office. It sounds like a, a hold from what I'm interpreting mm -hmm. this as. Yeah. Uh, if you do like any, which ones would you grab right now and hold on to yeah, over the next I'd, couple I'd of years? The strongest ones that I would have, like, I like the MJ ETF overall. It just has like a nice consortium of them because I've looked into these companies and I don't really think anyone in particular, like besides Canopy Growth Company, because I think that's great. You know, they have a lot of, they have a big partner. I forgot who it is. Uh, it's uh, Stellbrand or something. I, I forgot who it is exactly, but big, big player. That player is Constellation, a, a very, I believe. Yeah, Constellation Brands. Yeah, yeah, Stell. <laughs> yeah, Constellation Brands. So that's a huge uh, investment into them. That's something I actually hold that stock just in case once this you know goes off. And I'll definitely hold that into the election because there's no way it's going to get worse if Trump gets reelected, but there's a really, really good chance it goes through the roof if Biden gets elected. So you never know there. You just got to park capital in different things. That's what I do. I also like the ETF MJ. That's a big consortium of them. So if you don't really have any ones specifically that you like, MJ ETFs are something I always like to play. But if you're just looking for something to 
maybe like buy into the election. Uh, I doubt it's going to have a huge drop if Trump wins again because he's already president. But in the chance that he doesn't win, that's going to be a benefiter. We got a bunch of questions, as always, here from the audience. I think this is probably people's favorite. If you guys haven't asked questions, feel free. We'll do our best to get to the uh, most pertinent questions. So the first question here is at D. Mitchster. How do you know that the market would go up, right? So how do you best obtain that confidence in making entries when it looks like the market's going to shit? How are you going to manage those negative emotions when it gets in the way of BTFD? And for those of you that do not understand what BTFD is, buy the fucking dip. So (laughs) how do you know what's going on there, man? Yeah, so usually this market is a lot more calm than it is these days. But in the market right now that we have, when you know that the weakest stocks by a mile and a half are the smaller caps, the Dave and Busters, hospitality, those kind of things are having rough times moving up at all. So I like to look at, I call this the rut ratio that I made. So if the rut, the Russell 2000 small caps is up two times more than the S&P 500, that's an extremely bullish day in this market. And in going with that, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ both need to be up similarly. Now, the strongest possible case for what I look at for my rut ratio is the rut beats the S&P 500 by two times and the NASDAQ beats the S&P 500 by at least a quarter to a half times more of a percent daily gain. That's the most bullish day that you can have. And so how I knew the market would go up is it's kind of been having this ebb and flow cycle where the rut and the S&P and the NASDAQ kind of move between each other on this ratio. So you'll have a couple of days where the rut severely outperforms. And on down days, it's down 3% and the S&P is down one. And the NASDAQ's flat or whatever it is, or maybe down one as well. But you start seeing that come back into line. And I saw that last week when one of my favorite stocks ever booking was not getting crushed when the market was down 50. I mean, that, that day the market was down 50, I wasn't, even, I wasn't even down. I was like, what is happening? Does it make any sense? I guess I was in the right thing. This was a, we're starting to rotate that back into the rut. I mean, the booking should have been down like 50 to 100 points, easy. And it was down 10 and then it closed positive. So that kind of tells you that they were rotating back into these sectors and how they're moving up this market is kind of like a shimmy between these three sectors. Obviously the NASDAQ is just on an absolute tear, but that's kind of what I look at. If that rut ratio is in line on a gap up day, I mean, obviously I, I believe in buy the close, sell the open. If the market's down, buy the open, sell the close kind of thing. Uh, How do I make the best entries in the market when it looks like it's going to shit? It's like, you have to just trust what you use as your indicators, right? Like emotions always get in the way of buying when things look horrible. And the most money you'll ever make is buying something that's down 50 and then goes back positive and then rips the next couple of days. Because those options premiums get killed. You can get in them at super cheap, great prices. Um, But that's just a very difficult thing to time. So Using those indicators that I look, I also watch the VIX, obviously. The VIX tells you it's a big fear gauge, right? So the VIX is dying, then the market's ripping. If the VIX is ripping really hard, then, you know, until it starts being flat on the move up or start going down, then you play the downside until then. But always stay hedged. So when you have these positions that can go down, you can just flip out of your puts or roll them down and then buy calls on the upside. And you're not even going to be down that much because you've already made money to the downside. The market goes up over time, which I'm a big believer in. You're going to be making money on both sides. So always stay hedged on big moves up. I always buy puts if the market's up like 30, 40, 50 points just in case because if it keeps going up, fantastic. I don't want to lose my whole day gain though. We always talk about news, right? We do have some fans here that are, are huge on technical analysis. So 
at Sean Dev. I won't go through all the numbers. Six eight three eight one zero seven one. Here, <laughs> I did go through all the numbers right there. Sean says, "I'm huge on technical analysis. Do you have a favorite pattern to trade?" Yeah. So I did this thesis in college. I think I mentioned a few times on Twitter and in here. Um, and I went through hundreds of Bitcoin charts just because it was the most controlled asset I could look into. Right? There's no actual value tied behind it in people's minds. You know, like the dollar has the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. So it's a little different there. And it doesn't trade in the same way that like Bitcoin moves to 18,000, 19,000 and then drops to you know, 3,000, whatever it is. So I did a technical analysis research paper on those. And I found that most people, obviously, they use their eyes to trade their visual indicators for a lot of people. So I like to look at big bullish pennants and uh, bearish pennants. So those wedges that you see, that's the number one thing that I found that actually accurately predicts when it goes in line with sentiment, I'm very, very bullish. And then there's like a bull flag or a bull pennant and I'm very, very bearish. And then there's the the similar on the downside. That's going to be a big indicator to me. And I I found that to have like a 63% accuracy I think actually it was higher, but that's like very, very good numbers for anything. Anything over 50% is great. And in fact, the S&P 500 right now is in one of the most beautiful consolidating wedges I've ever seen on it, uh, which is why I'm thinking 3,400. That's a big reason why. So we're ripping next week, yeah? Yeah, it looks like it is. It's going to be a nice move. <laughs> Along those lines, we got Vshaw0718 uh, says, hey man, since a lot of stocks are now or close to parabolic moves, can you speak to which ones you'd look for in terms of price action to change your interpretation? So such as daily close reversal, volume, et cetera. And what's that protection against the risk of the price moving against you very fast? Absolutely. I mean, these parabolic moves, I've never seen anything like, I mean, it's crazy. I wasn't around in 2000, 2000. I have no idea what happened back then. You scared, bro? <laughs> Honestly, no. The thing, for instance, like Tesla's really, really interesting shop too. Those Amelia's like those stocks are just continuing to go parabolic. Of course, I think there's going to be one day when that trend changes. But until then, I'm not fighting against that trend. That's such strong uptrends that sure, like one day you can lose 10% in a day. But like, who cares? Like really, who cares? If you're in those from 300, like I am, and they go to 1000 or 1200 or 1500 or 2000 or whatever it is. And the whole time you're like, oh man, it's too high. Oh man, it's too high. You're gonna get massacred. You're gonna get absolutely bludgeoned and that's gonna suck. So you fight against the trend, you're going to have a, a bad time. So what I do is I just like take off a little bit of risk, right? Let's say I have 100 Tesla shares at 400, goes to 900 very, very fast. I, I take off 20. It goes to 1,000. I take off another 10. Then like I just slowly start trimming. And then I keep a core position of pretty much what my initial position size was. So no matter what happens, I'm banking on it. You know, it's not going to go to zero most of the time unless it's like Hertz which isn't even at zero. I think people get really scared and they're like, oh, these things are moving so much, so much, so much. Well, yeah, like Amazon was like a $4 stock. So like, what are you going to do about it? Why the hell have we not even spoken about Tesla yet? That thing absolutely went crazy last week. I, for one, was in at 375, thought I was the man selling at 750, I believe. And now I'm just pretty much crying every single day. If you could explain the play, Smarter Trader. So Sam, I know we talk about him every single time. He's a legend. Uh, did in detail. So honestly, what I will say is that I left a lot of money on the table, but not through the move. I left a lot of money on the table by not buying more size because it was just like closer to the end of the week and I've got a lot of stock. So 
as it goes up, I'm making money on that. So I don't ever feel like I'm missing the move. You know, if you ever feel like you're missing the move, just buy some shares and you're going to feel less FOMO'd out. You'll make less bad decisions. If you look at your account and you see something that's going, you know, up every single day, hundred points and you have none of it, you're going to be pissed not being in it. it means you're going to chase, means you're going to buy too much and you're going to get killed. On Monday, I saw Tesla go from like 1410 down to 1330. So it was an 80-point drop. And it came right back up and closed a little bit higher the next day. So it was on Thursday, it was doing the same similar pattern as on Monday. It was around 1410 again. And then until it reached 1380, it was just slowly trailing off. 1380, it did that big dive. So right before it started diving, I saw, I was like, well, this looks like Monday. I started buying the uh, 1290 puts at 10. Shout out to Jake Barrett. That was his trade idea, but completely agree with it. Great point and great call out. Uh, so I took those to like 22. So I made 12 bucks in profit on those, sold them right at the bottom. But what I always do, especially with those big loved momentum stocks, if you make a ton of money on the downside in a very fast move and you have a pattern from Monday that you know did the same reversal as you think could happen, I took that $12 profit. I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to go for the grand slam. If I'm right, I'm going to make a lot of money. So I took the shot. I bought the 1380s at 12. And 1380s that day, I think it went to like 27 on the reversal just that day, which was great. I was like, okay, well, like I doubled my money the first time on the puts, almost tripled the money the second time on the calls. So I rolled to the 1400 calls, got six bucks credit back. So that made my trade half free on the second time, which was already free the first time. So that's net profit, no matter what, I'm going to make money on this trade. And then I was like, okay, well, let me sell the 1500s because I was thinking, I don't really think it's going to go over 1500, but if it does get close to 1500 or go over, I'm going to take that contract from like $11 for the spread to a hundred bucks. That'll be sweet. So I kept those. And on Friday, Tesla was down. My spread was worth like six bucks. And I was like, oh, whatever, like, I'm just going to hold it because I already bought it. And I don't want to be that guy who sells Tesla when I know it rips on Fridays and I've already made this trade double free. So I just held it and it started moving back up. And I was like, oh, this is looking good. This is looking really good. So I kept those and started ripping really, really hard over its all-time high, sold those out for, I think I sold those for like 42, half of them. So after that, it was about 1435. I bought the 1440 calls and then sold some 1470s. And I think I paid five, six for those. Those, I sold those at 27 when it kept ripping. And before I sold those, I bought the next roll up. I bought the 1480. 1510 spreads. I paid three for those, sold those at, I think it was like 28, 29. So that's full credit. So on the whole way up, I made like six layers of Tesla. What I should have just done is just not done my stupid spreads and just bought the 1440s or the 1400s outright. Because I did miss the last $30 of Tesla running, but I caught that thing for 60 bucks on the downside and then another 200 points to the upside. I mean, what Sam did there is fantastic. I mean, he, he called that trade very well. So the biggest thing I would say to not sell is take some profits on the way up and then just keep rolling. I mean, that's the best lesson I've learned from him, honestly, out of how to trade those big moves. You're going to be pissed if it goes to 1600 that day. But if you only put in a quarter of your profits and everything's already free, like who cares? Yeah, I'm going to pretend I knew half of what you just said. In short, this week, is Tesla going to tell people, who wears short shorts? Are they going to rip again this week? <laughs> so I read a really crazy article that has to do with gamma, and you can find the article pretty easily. Basically, people are just unable to hedge. This is the most shorts have ever been on a stock, $20 billion in Tesla. Most short ever. 
So the thing is shorted like crazy. And the big boys like the Chanos, David Einhorn, Hacks, I hope they hear my podcast and come at me because I would love that because they all suck. Um, <laughs> they really do. But those guys, they're adding to their shorts. They're still short from like 200. Like what, you're insane. And so they're hedging, right? So that call premium is moving up every time. And it, those put premiums are so expensive that they can't even hedge if they wanted to. And if people who are playing the downside can't play the downside with the puts. They can barely hedge with the calls. So they're getting squeezed and killed every week. So it could just keep. I would be shocked if it doesn't keep going at least for a few more days. But if it doesn't, that's fine. I mean, I'll load the boat again under a thousand. You want a record five thousand for Tesla? What's that time frame look like? Uh oh, man, I on the spot. I, Sorry, buddy. No, no. Put, I mean, it's not even being on the spot. It's the, I thought it was like by twenty twenty five. Like I, it happened in the next three months. Like I like Jeez. what's happening with this right now has n- almost never. Ha- I mean, like if you look at Volkswagen in two thousand eight, that squeeze. This is similar. So who knows? Like. This is not another Tilray. No, 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 no. I mean, like people, people were so stupid on Tesla for so long. Thing had twenty-eight billion in revs last year, fifty-something billion in the next year or so. If it's just trading at ten times their revenue, not even counting their insane potential to literally upend the entire automotive industry, and that's just like one arm of what they can do. You know, they are a power company, they are a car company, they are a tech company, but they're not just a car company and they're not just any company. Like, I think people are just so wrong. If you compare Tesla to Ford or GM, you need to listen to my podcast more. Like, you're just, you've known nothing. <laughs> Another 5K stock, Shopify. So, ace up my sleeve it says there's a Shopify bullish thesis. Recently, it went from $17 to $10.50. And you're saying that it's going to go to 5K. Let's yeah. hear it. Why? So here's the thing. People are like, oh, don't you think it's ran up enough? Don't you think Tesla ran up enough when it was at 400? Don't you think it was enough at 600, 900, 1,000, 1,200, 1,500? Don't you think Amazon ran up enough when it went to 500, 600, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000? Whatever. Like this thing can just keep, (laughs) Avi, I love to laugh. This thing can just keep going. These are world-changing companies. I don't think people understand. Amazon can't do what shop does. That's antitrust. It's a monopoly on a monopoly on like, just huge it's illegal for them to do what shop does so shop is by far in every way the leader in what they're doing and they're 100 billion now do you see like the growth of the black friday level sales i don't think that's going to stop once this is all better in fact all those people are like oh wow i can do this online they're going to keep doing it online and in fact they're going to tell their friends and their friends are going to tell their friends and they're going to say wow i don't have to have a brick and mortar store to make what i was making and more last year because my costs are down yeah, no, shop's going to 5,000. It's just a matter of time. And Mealy's doing the same thing. And Mealy is going to go to 5,000 faster than shop's going to go to 5,000. And you want to know why? It's all about market cap. Shop's market cap is twice what Mercado Libre's market cap is. Like, yeah, Amazon is at 3,000. Amazon moves insane. That thing is moving 100 billion plus a day sometimes. And, you know, for shop to go up 100 points is only 10 billion. Quick question for you. What's your criteria, you know, when looking at options, right? So, just heard a, an amazing podcast. Obviously, Pounding the Table is the best podcast in the entire world, <laughs> but there are other podcasts that are great. So I was listening to the Side Hill. So they had an episode called Trading 101 for Options, and they were talking about diversifying your options trading. So they're like, if you're going to go in with Twitter and you go in with Facebook, don't just go all in with Snapchat, et cetera, right? Do you also do something similar? I know you do a lot of tech stocks, of course, but in terms of different verticals, do you kind of siphon off like travel tech oil gas etc mm-hmm. the options trading 101 and you're a lot more advanced 
No, no, they're definitely right. So that's why people are like, why are you an SPG? Well, because I have shop, I have Mealy, I had Amazon. Like, I mean, I was definitely wrong in just in and of itself for selling Amazon at like 24, 2500. But once again, from there, it only went up 20%. And I'm glad I took that money and I put it in the shop in Mealy because that went up 100%. So that like, you can get upset about selling something that did really well, but then you're going to get even more upset at the opportunity cost of not getting into something else. But what they're saying here, if you're playing weekly options and you've got LRCX, NVIDIA, Avgo, and AMD, why? Like, why do you do that? You should pick one or pick two, but there should be a percent allocation of your capital that you want to have in any specific sector. And that goes from top down all the way to the last level. How much upside do you want to have, right? So that's like the first general rule of hedging. You don't want to have 100% upside, no hedge. That's just a bad idea, especially if the market crashes 180 like it did three Thursdays ago, you're going to get murdered. So have that balanced out. And then the next level is, all right, I've got 50% in tech and 50% in other stuff. And then from that level, you go, all right, what do I have in online like e-commerce? What do I have in cloud services? You don't want to have booking and Expedia and Marriott. Just pick one or two of the best. Like I don't have all the airlines. I have United Airlines. I don't have all the travel. I have booking. So for instance, you can always use a certain stock as an entire sector's gauge, right? So I used booking as my number one gain of all time ever in history. The reason is because I loaded so much. I put huge size into it because instead of buying 50 different beaten down stocks that have got impacted from the coronavirus, I was like, oh, booking is the biggest price stock. Those options will move the most. I'll make the most money. If I'm right, that's the best play. If I'm wrong, still the best play because I'm only putting the same amount of money I would otherwise. Diversify where you're putting your money. Long-term IRA plays, you still high on tech or high on pot stocks? Where are we at (laughs) for the long-term IRA stocks? Any that you love over the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I knew that tech was going crazy. And I posted at the beginning of the year, I was saying that the NASDAQ will always outperform the S&P 500 this year. I left a hell of a lot of money on the table. I had QQQ, 250 calls at six bucks for two years out. And those are in the money now by 15 points. And I just was trimming them and I was trimming them. And I was like, oh my God, this thing's going insane. I still have them now. I rolled the 270s and I might roll the 280s, but I'm not getting out because I don't think that the tech stocks are going to go down in this. People are comparing this to 2000. Those people don't know what they're talking about. They're completely wrong. If you look at where the NASDAQ ran in comparison to the other indices, it's not even a close comparison. Like the NASDAQ is very appropriately moving right now, especially for the state of the economy. It's not even close to the same level. I think techs are going to keep going until this is all completely better. I I don't think you're going to see the 2000 tech bubble crash everyone's thinking. I just, we're not there. We're just not even close to there in terms of how far we've ran in tech. Long-term IRA plays too, like, Everything I talk about on my Twitter is stuff that I'm holding long-term um, in terms of stock. Like if it's a weekly option, whatever it is, that's a different play. But like these long-term companies, I do like Google for long-term. I like Mercado Libre, Tesla Shop, MDB, um, ServiceNow. Those are some great plays that I will continue to hold for years to come. There's just no reason for me to get out of them. If the market crashes, don't you want to be in the best stocks? Why would you want to be in the shittiest stocks? Because then you're going to get crushed and you have no belief that those are going to come back because those companies are not having crazy revenue growth. Those companies are not loved companies. You want to be in what you think can either A, become like the Fastly from the $5 billion to $25 billion to potentially $100 billion companies. That's one section of your IRA, right? 
Then you want to have the ones that are already established and still doing great, the Mealy's, the Shops, the Teslas. And then you can diversify again into the bigger caps, the Googles, the Amazons, the Alibabas. That is how I break up my own personal investments and my funds investments in that way. So, you know, people don't like to be in things that keep running. Those people will lose money over time. You don't buy your losers. You don't add to your losers unless you think that those losers should be winners and genuinely have data because of that. Not just because you think, oh man, I'm getting burned on the real, real. Let me add 5,000 more shares. So we're in chapter one of, of Tony's life, right? But Sean Dev, 6838101 is asking, if someone were to write a book about your trading career, was there a turning point from losing money to making money consistently? What are your trading rules? So let's probably focus on the latter part of that question. What are, what are yeah. the trading rules of Tony, if you have any? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just a little bit of background. Like I didn't make money consistently for years when I started. Like I would have these one or two crazy trades that made me a ton of cash. My Amazons and Tesla trades that like my Amazon trade went 10 bucks to a thousand bucks each. My Tesla trades funded my trading for the next few years. So I, I got lucky by being really, really good at two different things. But in terms of like the percentages of my win rates, they were such shit back then. Even like last year and the year before, I was on the verge of becoming a consistent trader. And what I mean by consistency is sure you can make like money and squeeze by, but like making good money consistently and knowing what you're doing. And there's so much more I have to learn, but I realize like the longer I do this, the more I learn things. And anyone who thinks that they know everything is an idiot because they don't, even the best don't know everything. And that's the biggest fact I can tell about life. But my trading rules, I've over the years, I make the same mistakes and they're identical mistakes. I try so hard to not do them. So I was like, you know what? Let me just go through years of my trading and specifically the last year, more importantly, and figure out what I did wrong a lot. And then I narrowed it down to five, 10 things that I do consistently that are just stupid. And so I'm going to like just read from a, a piece of notebook paper here that I wrote all these rules on and I read them every morning just to make sure I don't make these mistakes. Like every week I make a mistake or two. I obviously lose trades all the time. But in terms of my rules, the less I break these, the better trading I do. And if I could code myself into a human algorithm, like in surrogates, that would be sweet <laughs> because then I wouldn't make these mistakes. But you know, here they are. So never buy weeklies during a rip. If you're up 50 or 100, like sure, you can make a little bit of money on the upside, but you're going to feel really bad knowing that you've already missed that run. You want to get in those positions the day before. You want to try to predict and anticipate that. If the market's already down 100 at the open, you should be buying calls unless like it's some ridiculous news that's bad. And if the market's already up a ton, you should at the very least buy hedges, puts to protect against your positions. You know, you can keep playing a little bit to the upside, but I'm saying on up 50 up 100 days, that's not when you take big long-term positions. Those are not the days. That's probably the best rule that I've like gotten used to uh, not making mistakes on, especially because knowing that three out of five days trend down in the markets. And over time, the moves to the upside happen overnight. The moves to the downside on average happen during the day. So just knowing the data there, that's a mistake that I try not to break. I'll give you guys one more rule. We'll try to break this out over the next few episodes because I've got like these 10 rules and I think I'll just give two right now and then I'll give two next week and so on. Another thing is removing my hedges. 
and I never take all my hedges off, but I do take off like the, the gains I'll make on the downside by reducing the number of contracts or the short, I, you know, I don't short stocks, so I just buy puts. So I remove the number of put contracts or roll to a lower strike. But the biggest thing I've learned is that I will keep thinking we're going to bounce here, or I'll keep thinking we're going to bounce here. And we just move lower. So let's say I have S&P 3,100 puts and the market drops to like 3080. Okay, great. I made a lot of money on those puts. And if I roll to 3080s, that credit I'm going to get, sure, maybe it's like 12 or 13 bucks. But if the market continues to close down for that day, that should be a $20 credit. So I'm taking a $7 credit risk by rolling down right there, which is okay to do if you do it once. But this is the issue. This is the rule. Don't roll down your hedges more than one time or two times, max. You realize that I roll down my S&P hedges sometimes like five, 10 times a day. And every time I roll, I used to do this. I would lose a couple dollars in premium in between. So by the end of the day, my hedge, let's say it goes from 3,100 to 3,000 at the close. I should have made $100 on each put contract. But because I rolled five times and left $7 a credit each time, I made 65. So I left a third of my hedge on the table, which is already less than my upside position. And I'm just losing more money than I need to. If I roll down once and roll down in a place where my hedge was already covered and paid for, there's no reason I should roll my hedge down again. I feel like I'm listening to Limp Biscuit with keep rolling, 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 rolling. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, let's break a little of the Tony rules, right? Because I think everyone here that's listening, not everyone, but a lot of folks want to play these gambles called weeklies, right? So let's break Tony's rules a little bit here. If we were to run some weeklies, you're saying 3,400 for the S&P. What are the three to four or five stocks that you love this week if we were to yeah. play weeklies? Oh, I'm, I'm happy to say because already I'm loaded in all of these. We were just talking about this earlier, Avago, ABGO, the ticker symbol. Let's just break that up a little bit and make some people happy. This triple top that we've got, I'm such a big fan of triple tops um, and triple bottoms too, right? Like those things really rarely, if they hold, then that's a really, really strong resistance or support, but they rarely hold. Like statistically, gaps get filled 99% of the time. So I have uh, Avgo 327.5 calls for this week. If it can get through that triple top, and this is why I took the shot, right? I took LRCX 330 calls from like four to 12. And I put enough profit back in into the next chip. And I still have NVIDIA, right? So I'm playing the double dipper here in the chips, but those are my two favorites. So NVIDIA is my long-term hold. I don't want to sell that till it goes to a thousand. Um, Avago, yeah, I know a nice eyebrow lift there. Avago, it's just like, that's a technical play for me, right? All this news on chips is bullish. And once something breaks that triple top level, it, it can really, really run. So if it goes 20 or 30 points, those 327s are going to go from two to 15, 20, 30. So that's why I took the shot because why not? You made money on NVIDIA and LRCX, put some into another one that's ready to go, but hasn't gone yet. And especially over a two year breakout level. I've got booking, I've got 17, 15s. 1750s for this week calls. And this is my biggest position, like full disclosure. I have an absolute boatload of 2400, 2500, and 2600 calls for January. I don't think it gets there, but I don't care because if it just goes to 1900, those calls will triple, quadruple, and I'll make enough money just by selling it at 4X. Because if you buy leaps, it's very similar to buying stock, right? So, like if I wanted to buy a million dollars of booking, I could just spend 100 to 200,000 on calls, which is like what I did on booking for January. So if it goes there, I'm going to make my 
you know, 500 to a million dollars on that trade, but otherwise you're not going to be able to make the same with the stock and you're going to lose the same if it's wrong. So that's why I took the shot there. I think booking also just broke out of a nice down wedge it's been having for a while. I've got Alibaba just because of the split news potential and like all that's going on right now. I've got 280 calls for August there. I, I don't know when it's going to continue to go. Maybe it'll go to, I think it'll go to 300 just because there's a magnet on these round psychological numbers and Alibaba base for so long. And ever since they lost Jack Ma, like he left, that's been doing so much better. Like when these big CEOs, and it's different, like Elon leaves Tesla, it's going to be a big, 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 big problem. Like Steve Jobs leaving Apple for years. But Alibaba is loving that Jack Ma left. So another one I have um, really bullish on is Mercado Libre, Mealy. I've got, Four weeks out of put credit spreads. I've got like 10, 50, 1,000 put credit spread for 30 bucks credit for this week. I've got 10, 80, 1,000. I've got 1,100, 1,000. So those are put credit spreads. So I'm selling the 1050 for this week, buying the 1,000 for this week puts, uh, selling the 1080s for next week, buying the 1,000s, selling the 1100s for the week after, buying the 1,000. So I'm triple long on Mealy just because. The way that I'm looking at it right now, it's consolidated like Shop and Tesla did. Shop did this at 700 and then it went to 1,000. Tesla did this at 1,000 and went to 1,500. So I think Mealy is going to be the next one. The other one I am looking at, Google. Like many, 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 many people are talking about Google. Huge breakout over 1,530. I've got 1,550, 1,600 spreads on the call side. And I still have a boatload of August uh, 1,620, 1,640, and 60,60 calls. The reason I have three layers on calls to the other side is because I split it up in between. So it's easier for me to sell one lot of calls than to sell half of a position in a call. Like I just prefer to do that because as the lower strikes get closer to being in the money, those increase in value faster. So I'm just happy to take extra profit on those and then keep the higher flyers going. So I think those are going to be my bigger plays for this week. Um, still MDB, whenever that goes, it's going to go. I don't know when, but it's definitely lagging all the other SAAS stocks. And this thing's got crazy growth. It's got crazy growth, not that high of a market cap in the slightest. In my opinion, it should be 400 right now, just by the way everything else is moving. Not based on the company of itself, but just relative to the other SAAS movers. So those are the ones that I'm looking at this week. I'm loaded in all of those. Obviously, I've got some like strong hedges on this week because I took such good upside positions. I've got S&P 3100 or 3170 puts for tomorrow. And those are pricey, but I really didn't care because if we broke out, then everything I have will go really well. And then I've got 3140s for Wednesday and 3100s for Friday. And I stagger that again because they're kind of similar price. You know, if you go 30 to 40, pound, 30 to 40 uh, points down on the S&P, you get similar contracts every two days. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday expiration. So that's kind of the way that I'm, I'm rolling this week. Hedged, but very long. Tony, dude, this this is phenomenal, right? I'm just taking a peek here quickly at the the stock futures. S and P is up 16, Nasdaq's up 57, Dow's up 142. It is 10:20 p.m. right now. <laughs> just to kind of wrap things up, honestly, I never thought I'd do a podcast. We kind of uh, created this, brought it to fruition. So just want to take a second to honestly thank all of our fans, future fans. Appreciate all your help. We feed off you guys. So feel free to, to write reviews, reach out to your friends, write a review on Apple or, or Spotify, et cetera. We're super excited to continue this episode four. Next week, we'll do another one. So Tony, 
ended as always. Yeah, I got to say a big thanks to everyone, really. Like, I honestly was doing a blog when I first uh, started trading in this and that. And this is just so much more involvement with people who I talk to every day on Twitter. And it's really cool to answer your guys' questions. I'm getting a lot of DMs about these questions. And I'll definitely get back to everybody uh, when I get some time. It's just been a very, very busy few weeks of trading and doing this starting up now. But yeah, please, like, if you enjoy our content, I would love to hear more and more critiques, reviews, good and bad, everything. You know, I, we just want to hear more so we can give you more of what you want. So if you like what we have, please subscribe to our Spotify. If that happens, it's easier for you guys to find the podcasts as we post them. We were actually thinking about maybe doing some smaller snippets throughout the week, just like a five to 10 minute feature kind of thing about a specific stock or some news that happened. So let us know if you guys are interested in that. Something like the what if section. Shout out to James Vernon again. I'm loving the wine. Big thanks. So if anyone has any ideas like that, we're happy to hear them all and we'll probably include them if they're good. So, you know, thanks again, everybody. Uh, This has been really, really fun and we're just getting started. So have a great trading week, everybody. Thanks for listening.